0: Welcome back to the Breakdown part A lot can happen in seven days, and there's been a lot happen if you think about the world of rugby, particularly here in New Zealand, and how our game has changed. Changed because we've got new coaches at the Black Ferns. We've got a Super Round coming up in Australia this weekend, starting tonight. It's Friday night, action coming out, the Chiefs taking on the Waratahs, and we've also got players being talked about in regards to comments made about referees and the direction the game's going, and plenty of responses from people in the media and from New Zealand rugby themselves. Sir so John Kerwin, Jim Kays Let's start with Wayne Smith, because we all know Smithy well. He's now the director of rugby. I've been wondering when New Zealand would get one of these, and we finally have. I thought it would be in the men's game first, but it hasn't. It's come in the women's game as they prepare for a... World Cup later on this year. Look, there's been a lot of fallout from this, J.K., but reality is our good mate Smithy's got the reins and he's got a huge challenge in front of him.
1: Yeah, uh, really interesting decision from my old mate Smithy. I mean, uh, everything to lose, nothing to gain from a reputation point of view, but he's so humble um, he probably wouldn't consider or worry about that. Um, Does he have enough time? The runway's pretty short. Uh, so if anyone can do it, he can. I think it's a wise decision. Um, My third year, Goldie, you'd be interested in this. I put a proposal to the Blues board to become director of rugby um, just because I didn't think I was good enough technically, Uh, but Wayne Smith was going to be my direct advisor. So, you know, I think director of rugby for people who have strengths in other areas is an important role. And I think you said to me, uh, Jim, a few weeks ago that you spoke to who over in the UK that's got seventy four people and he doesn't even blow the whistle yeah. anymore. Uh
2: Chris Boyd, he's um so there's a hundred in the in, in the rugby team, uh sixty of those are players and forty of them are management. And he said he hadn't picked up a whistle in anger for a very long time and he was more a manager of coaches. Um hmm. like you, um Surprised, but not surprised by by Wayne taking this on. He said to me a couple of days ago, or a week or so ago that he had he was doing five jobs uh, with the Black Ferns. I think the three things for me that will make him a success there, and you guys know this so well: his passion is unquestioned, his rugby intellect is unquestioned, uh, and also his he's got intuitive means of coaching. Uh, I remember him saying to me one time about um Siddhavini Sivivatu and that he was really angry with um Siddhavini from a, a coaching session that they'd had in in like a classroom, you know, in, in, in a in a hotel, boardroom sort of thing, you know. And he said, Look, you know, what's the story, mate? I presented all of that stuff up on the board, I did this, I walked through on the video and everything, and and Siddhi just said, yeah, but I understood the first time, Smithy. And he realised yeah. then that every, you know, it was another Typical Wayne Smith story that some players learn on the field, some learn on the video, some learn on the whiteboard, and some of them, like Sidovini, you just need to tell them. So his intuitiveness, I think, around how he coaches will be outstanding. But, man, he's up against it, isn't he? Because they got absolutely pants by England and France, the Black Ferns, and um, he's not in charge of their fitness, and that'll be the biggest thing that needs to change. Goldie, I think the
1: question for me, to throw one to you, is... um... You know, the, the the female game in the UK is still going ahead. You know, Scotland are playing this weekend. Italy, women are still playing. There's Ireland 20. You know, do you think that whatever Wayne does, is it going to be enough? Because I believe that the competition that the UK has prepares them way better for a World Cup.
0: Yeah, uh, we've got a pack four comp- competition coming before the um, Rugby World Cup. There's test matches there. The other thing that the, the Black Ferns have on their side is they are on the weaker side of the draw. So because they're on the weaker side of the draw, all of a sudden their ability through the tournament to get some momentum and bed some things in place, I think will help. But this is a massive challenge. Um, look, he, he's brought in uh, Whitney Hanson, who was part of the the group before. They've still got some continuity with Wesley Clark. Uh, so in, in terms of some of that, you know, I think in terms of preparing this team, the balance for me with Smithy is, cause, and I know this too well, uh, all too well, is that the amount of information that he can possibly get into this <laughs> team and then to be able to absorb and then deliver, and him having the ability to reduce it down what's going to be enough for them to start getting the building blocks of success because he's only got a short window. So now, already, he would have to start settling on the group of players who are going to play the major role going through. He doesn't have the benefit of time of trials. He would have looked at Super Rugby old picky. He'll be balancing out the ones that are conditioned to do the work right now, the ones that need conditioning to get up to speed, and then he'll get to a point where, okay, this is my group going through these camps. And then, at the same time, I'm conditioned them, but there are things I feel as though they need to know and be able to do. And this is the the real challenge for me is that, He's going to have to fall on the guys or those who were involved last year who observed the four defeats and said, this is exactly where the opposition are at. You can watch as much video as you like, but unless you were there live and experiencing it, seeing them firsthand, JK, we can watch the Six Nations as it goes ahead. But I think he'll have all of this information he's trying to absorb. He's then got all this information he's trying to give. And at the same time, he can't do five jobs, Jim, JK, can he? If he thinks he's doing five jobs, then already the structure is a failure. He has to have one job. And that's why I think Director of Rugby is he's still going to, JK. Surely he's going to have to offload responsibility to his other coaches and trust them to go out and deliver. Because in the end, he can't come over the top of everyone.
1: He's really good at that. But I think what interests me about the Tikura and Glenn Moore saga was that we've been talking about a saga that no one has won. I mean, you know, the mental health of Takura, mental health of Glenn, you know, all that sort of stuff has been devastating.
2: But at the end of it, I'm no wiser as to actually why we lost. right? Well, they lost because they they weren't match fit. It's pretty clear when you watch those games, the English and French forwards in particular were fitter and faster. And therefore, their skills were more to the fore. And some of that was COVID-induced because the Black Ferns hadn't played for a long time. Um, some of that was match fitness. Some of it's because England and France were just better than than the All Blacks, and that's going to be their biggest challenge this this year. You know, getting them to be fitter and, and faster. And I'll tell you an interesting thing because we had Christina Sue on the breakdown um, with UJK. I thought it was interesting some of her comments around. Uh, that that we've basically taken what works for men and put it over the top of the woman's game. And that's not acceptable and not suitable. And, you know, small things like front row, female front row forwards have a different body composition to male front row forwards. So their ability in in scrums where their muscles are is completely different. So they have to scrummage in a different way to the, the way that men scrummage. And I've never really sort of thought of those types of things, but that's a that's a significant thing. So they are lucky that Mike cron has been with them for a long time now, um, and he will—he's a smart man. He'll know that sort of stuff. But to answer your your question again, they just weren't fit enough, fast enough, skillful enough compared to the English and the French, particularly up front. Okay, so, so
1: let's let's talk about Wayne Smith in that context.
2: So
1: fit enough and fast enough is irrelevant to what he needs to bring. That is yep. – and I think there's another discussion.
2: Yeah, they have brought in – JK. They have brought in a new fitness trainer. I'd cut her first name as Amanda. I can't remember her surname, but she's a former Black Fern. Uh, okay. Yeah, I can't remember her surname. Um, so, so the
1: the I, I also thought that was an interesting discussion around the different athletes and what they're doing in the UK um, around – High performance, and this gets me back to: um, Are we looking at our high performance of New Zealand rugby as a whole? Because I think we used to lead, but now, like both our both our premium male and female sides have done three sixties when they're getting back. There's been wow. things that are highlighted. So, you know, I am hearing that the UK, especially around the
2: female game, is way ahead of us from a high performance point of view. So well, who's in, there's a reason for that. There's there's a reason for that. And Glenn Moore, we used a quote, uh, a grab from Glenn Moore on the show uh, that came from TV3, and, and he said, you have to remember that it was only a year or so ago that the women's game sat under community rugby. So the Black Ferns weren't even part of the professional setup, according to Glenn Moore, uh, until very, very recently, they were part of the community game. So, again, we've taken we've got this sort of professional template and now we're slapping it on top of the women's game, but some of these people, some of these women, they have full-time jobs, uh, they're mums, they're all sorts of different things that are not, it's not the same for the male athlete. So, tell so we me have to, are,
0: we've got to me- change the cookie
2: cutter. So you can't use the cookie cutter from the All Blacks, slap it on the Black ferns and say, well, why so is it not working?
1: So tell me what our board is doing then, because if I remember rightly, nothing, for the last round of elections, there was a mandate around female rugby and diversity within our board and within our game. So tell me who is representing this on the board and who's responsible for the high performance? Because Glenn Moore has paid a price, I believe, um, and there's been a, a judgment done. But let, let, can we can we please just start? Preempting empting the stuff rather than when you're looking backwards all the time, we're in trouble. So who's in charge? What's the high performance plan? We know Wayne Smith's going to be in charge, but that's short term. He'll be gone after the World Cup.
0: And the interesting thing for me there, JK, and you've said this on a number of conversations, whether it be on the breakdown, whether it be on the podcast, we talk about the constitution of New Zealand rugby, right? We talk about how the process is done and I've never and haven't been sure for a long time of where and who it is that that holds the power. Most organizations have a simple process, right? Businesses have a simple process, CEO, board. you You may have investment shareholders, who they are. But if you look at it, who is the one that ultimately makes the decision? And I don't know whether or not it is Mark Robinson that holds the power, whether it's the board or it's actually the 26 provincial unions that hold the power. They hold the power in the Silver Lake deal. So when it comes down to it, when New Zealand rugby are making decisions and the representation they have on the board in all of these different areas, there's no doubt there appears to be so much conflict that there are so many things that may be slipping through the cracks right now. And I think remembering too, and we shouldn't forget this, is that in the last 18 months, particularly 18 months ago when a pandemic hit and all of a sudden the financial coffers got squeezed, New Zealand rugby had to make a huge number of changes in terms of personnel. They laid off a number of people. And I'm wondering whether or not they haven't, JK, been and got back to a position where the responsibilities that may have been picked up two years ago, the conversations that may have been had two years ago, have all of a sudden disappeared. And and they've been in survival mode, and they're in survival mode once again. And if you think about what it seems like to me is that they've looked at and, and... One side of this organisation has looked at the Silver Lake opportunity and gone, this gives us a chance to reinvest back in our game. But a number of things, while this whole, whole process has gone on, have been put on hold. Everything's been put on hold. They haven't asked the right questions. And to your point, isn't that the responsibility of the board? To ask these questions. Not to just ask about the balance sheet and what do the numbers look like, what is it that we should and have to deliver? And that's where I, am, at the moment, am a little bit frustrated in and around this conversation around the players and the impact they are having with post-match interviews and their commentary on the game. The fact they're talking about, have we gone soft? Um, if we tried to stop the game and we tried to pick up all of the contacts, how many guys will be left on the p- field? All of a sudden, the roles the roles, player, the role the players have and the responsibilities they hold I think this is another really interesting conversation. Do we see, and, and I know there's frustration in and around, we're not always getting it right um, on the field in terms of our, one, not getting it right in terms of our refereeing and our, our application of the laws. But by the same token, the responsibility falls on the players. They're not getting it right either. They're still hitting guys in the head. They're still putting people off the ball. They're still technically poor but they're falling themselves under the, oh, it's a contact sport. We can't take that out of the game. I just think at the moment, J.K., everyone is responsible on some layer and they need to understand that they're accountable to the yeah. game, right? Look, are they accountable to I don't
1: to agree because I, I reckon there's three subjects, right? There's three different subjects, okay? So um, the first thing is I advise you all to go and watch the Gorbachev um, documentary. It was an amazing um, documentary about the the breakdown. That's
0: one from left field. I, I love that. That's yeah. just, you wrote that down earlier on and said, I want people to watch the Gorbachev documentary. Yeah. But what, what am I learning from this?
1: Okay. Yeah. And then watch the Greg Norman 30 for 30. 30 on for 30. Unbelievable. Watch them both back to back, right? Because the two messages you'll get out of it is that the Soviet Union Gorbachev realised that it was an antiquated system that needed to change. Incredible courage, right? Um, And Greg Norman, in his interview, was amazing about actually focusing on the problems and using them and making sure that you keep getting better, right? So you know his story. It's an amazing one. I, I come back to this because the constitution around the professional game is antiquated. It's run by amateurs. And there's no accountability, which means they look back and they're reactive, not proactive. And so someone has to the courage to change our constitution. As long as we leave in the constitution that the professional game must financially support the amateur game, but we need to get rid of the amateurism in our game. The second thing is, I'm sick of COVID as an excuse, right? We have got to be Greg Norman-like and we've got to go, we lost, why do we lose? Let's move on. Okay, so that's that discussion. I advise you to watch those two. Uh, now, now the two arguments you have is when Adi Savia and Aaron Smith come out, they are talking about referees' decisions. So that, for me, is a message. That's one, so I agree with you. But the players have come out because they are frustrated with the current system of how the referees are coming to some decisions, right? And I believe we need to listen to them and go, Instead of waiting until something happens, like a player pushes a ref or we end up being like soccer, we need to listen that they are desperate and so they're going public because I know both those guys and they wouldn't do if they weren't desperate, right? So something's happening behind the scenes. They're asking the referees. They're not getting anything back. They're sick of the excuses, right? So there's something that needs to happen and we all need to sit down and talk about that. The second piece of your argument, which I do agree with, is possibly we need to make the fines more financial, right? And start saying to the players, if you do this, you're going to get eight weeks and you're actually going to take 50%. I don't know. We need to make it way more meaningful, right? Because you sort of think they walk off and think, oh, at least I've got three weeks off. You know, I can rest and recover or whatever. That's
0: cynical. But Training the- window. They'll treat it as a training window. All of a sudden I've got a training window, conditioning
1: but i don't I think those two arguments that I'll throw to you now, Jim. I think those two arguments you put forward need to be separated. you know I do not blame the referees, but I do blame like that decision for the Highlanders. I could not believe that someone who watches the game looked at it, and I saw four different incidents that I thought they'd pick up a headshot, guys coming in from the side right and the and the ref goes and then and look he's under pressure. I thought he had a good game. When you're someone's under pressure, that's when the teammates come in and said, "Actually, mate, take a look at this." And the TMO goes, "Oh, listen, mate, you've asked me to look at that, but what about that?" And let's put it out amongst the speakers. <laughs> right? It's mm. <Just clears throat> a poor decision. Like the ardi severe decision was a poor decision because the ref goes, "Arty, I'm hearing you. I'm going to go upstairs because that's common sense. I've already blown the whistle. I can't do anything now." Is a dumb response to an antiquated Soviet Union. <laughs> you know you know the, the comparison yes. the NRL moves they change they keep, during the season they change the rules they do stuff right
2: look I'm extremely biased on this but I'd be very disappointed if New Zealand rugby starts trying to muzzle players what this game needs is the reverse of that it needs more outspoken people it needs more people talking about the game and if that's controversially well, well good because the death of anything is when people stop caring the death of anything is apathy, um, and if we get players who don't care about decisions, and we get coaches who don't care about decisions, we don't get. You know, you, you talk about league a lot, J.K. Look at some of the blumps that they've had over there. That guy, um, Jeff Tuvey, and he, he when he blows up, you know, it's still going around on on YouTube. I, I think that we need to almost embrace uh, the controversies rather than get all upset about them, and you know. I've taken calls from, from NZHQ after our show on, on um, Sunday night on on the breakdown where they weren't happy with the re- the comments around the refereeing. I disagreed with everything that they put towards me. Uh, and I think that what you guys covered was absolutely superb. And and I think it's ridiculous that you don't have debate and discussion a- around these things. That's what the game's there for. You go into any rugby club, you go into, in the old days, any pub, and people were, were talking about it. It would be naive of us not to talk about things that people are already talking about. And, you know, having a player have an opinion is what journos have always wanted. And uh, long may
0: that you Yeah, long may it continue. I, I don't think on that platform. I don't think in a post-match interview when they haven't had another chance to look at it as a player, they're absolutely emotive. Um, look, and don't get me wrong. I think in both cases, there's a huge amount of frustration and disappointment. And, but there are ways you can say that without accusing the referees of making errors because they may have made errors. The old, and you see good coaches do this. I need to have another look at that. Good coaches do that. I'm not 100% sure. At the time, I felt this, but I'll go back, have another look at it. I'll have a conversation. I get the interest you're looking for in the game, Jim, but that can come in the commentary around that in regards to us looking at it. We will highlight and look at those parts of the game. It'll come out. And this is probably probably where it needs to come out, J.K. Is that we've always asked referees to take responsibility. Maybe they need to be a little bit more vocal, vocal on the things that they recognise they don't do well, the things that they have missed. And if there is an error, and you've talked about this, is is if you want accountability, everyone has to take accountability. So if the referees take accountability, then I think the players will take should need to take accountability for. Their actions for their ill-discipline, for the fact that they provided a poor spectacle, or they provided um, thirteen on fifteen because two guys were in the bin um, for a foul play, you know. And I, you know, and I'll be interested to know if it turned on them. We're talking about already the fact that oh, my expectation of the player is that they they're not. Some of these guys aren't even immediately apologetic. Okay, fact, what, yeah.
1: I, what I'll tell you, mate. What I'll tell you, what I, I get that. But what I will tell you is, if you go to Australia next week, or you go to the Super Round, whatever. Like, did you see the interview from the CEO of NRL talking about the Warriors' decision because the fans blew up? Have you seen that in New Zealand this week? No, the that's right. Two, two ex All Black captains public went public. Has there been anything from the NZR standing up and addressing the issues? Have you seen no. Bryce Lawrence? Have you seen Mark Robinson? Have they stood up and addressed it? So, so then we get in trouble when we address it. Well, who else is going to address it? I mean, that's they, my point, though. I, and that's my point, though. This is my problem. It's not the rest fault, but they do have technology. Technology <laughs> should give you the ability, right, to actually take a decision that you've made, take a step back, and make the right decision. I agree with Aaron Smith. They had that opportunity, and they got it wrong. I ask you, why did they get it wrong?
0: And that's what they'll be challenging themselves on. And they do ask themselves. And I know they have asked themselves that question. But no, to your point, better. though, huh? but, but to your better. point.
1: We, we, we say this at the beginning of every season. Yeah, right? yeah. If, they're not, if they're not getting better, I don't blame them. I blame Bryce. I blame what they're doing around spending some money on making these guys the best they can be. I don't think we're investing enough money in them, right? And I don't think we know them. Why don't we talk? Why don't they want to talk? Why don't we talk to them? Why don't we interview them? Why don't we talk about the situation? Make them
0: human, people. Yeah, well, we've had Ben O'Keefe on the show, and he was very, very good. And I think there is an understanding of that. But by the same token, it's the accepting and communicating when you've got it wrong. But the other side of it, to you point, JK, and you've always said this, is the fact we probably play the most complicated Mm. sport uh, in the world in terms of the laws of the game and the pressures and understanding, and the and, and here's the thing: is that if we start, we've been down this path before, where they looked at everything and so many things, and it was the. the and I, I, I thought about this the other day, and I, I keep going and comparing ourselves to other sports. And you know why other sports don't have this issue is because the game keeps playing; it starts up quicker, it keeps going. So you don't, if you think about um, NBA, there's another play, the football, the fo- the balls and play game, right? The ball's back in play in football. You think about um, NFL is the same thing. It's 35 seconds and away you go again. We just have so many stoppages in our game. We've got the ability to look at so many things. We watch so many more highlights and there's Which so many more discussions. In. I mean, this <laughs> is the, this is what, you know, NRL, NRL, the game just doesn't stop. You know, it, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful product where we have all of these dead times in our game which all of a sudden we highlight and can find things because it's far too complicated. Mm. It is far too difficult, the breakdown, <clears throat> for our referees to be accurate and find every
2: collision that's not quite legal. So We that's have where, to simplify. That's where you have to go back to what well, both of you say, but JK says a lot, is make it fan-centric because if it's fan-centric, if you're a player and you have a fan-centric mindset, you won't be doing high shots. You won't be giving away stupid penalties. You won't be reducing your team to 13 or 14. If you're fan-centric and you're the the rule makers, you'll simplify the rules. If you're fan-centric, technically you'll play a game that's exciting and entertaining to watch and you'll get people come through the gates so that you can sell tickets and that sort of thing. But as as we've agreed on this podcast numerous times, rugby is not fan-centric. Rugby is still caught between crusty old men uh, who sit on the board and think that they know everything and players who are trying to exert their own power now through the Players Association and and, and that. And nowhere in that conversation is, is fans. I remember when we had um, uh, Mark Robertson on the breakdown Raw a month or so back and, and you made the point, Goldie, afterwards that he never once mentioned the word fans. and We asked him what his priorities were and he never once said the word fans. We don't have a game without fans. Well, you know, it's not not a professional game. Fans do you, know year, do, you, do,
1: you, do you know? Last year, the NRL brought in that law, and this is why I keep coming back to three penalties, yellow card. So they brought in that law where you got a repeat set of six. Yep. It's on average, on average, the um, the players lost five kilos because they had to run so much more, so much faster, get off the ground, right? And the second thing is at the end of the season, they said, "No, nah, actually, um, we need to change it back to a penalty when you're in your half coming out, and when you're in the opposite half it's a reset of six, and that has made the game even better, right yep. and we've been talking about, and I think Sir Steve Hansen said once, "The thing we need to do with the rule book is sit down and see what we can get rid of mm-hmm. so I'm not don't get me wrong, I'm not having a go at the referees." I think the whole game is exasperated with what's going on, mm. um, so the players are starting to say we're sick of Bryce Lawrence saying I'm sorry on Tuesday when we're not seeing improvements. The you know the the referees are sick of the players not actually knowing the rules and then well, breaking yeah. them their highs, Right? Um, we, I've, I've brought my stick figure out a hundred million times. I've wrote have written to to Bryce Lawrence and maybe it's in a spam asking him if I can put forward. The three penalties as a yellow card to see if it improves our game. The players will not do anything unless there is a real, a real thing going on on the football field where they're going. If we don't do this team, we're losing. And hmm. I tell you what else is important: we need to get back to letting the Super Rugby guys stand on their own two feet because right now, regardless, win, draw, or with your public filling the stadium or not, you're going to get money from NZR. And I think that creates a system that has been great for us. Don't get me wrong. It's been fantastic for the first 25 years of professionalism. But now it's antiquated and out of date and we need to change.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that creates our glacial movements here in (coughs) New Zealand is the fact that we always feel as though our pathway to the All Blacks starts when a kid's five years old. And so we're thinking that he has to go through this process of playing under the rules of world rugby, these, this all-encompassing game with all of these laws from the moment they start, because that's the start of their path to an All Black. Every kid's going to grow up and be an All Black, so we play the same game, right? That's not the way the world works now. The professional game has distanced itself, and, and rightly so. has distanced itself from the amateur game, but we refuse, we refuse to simplify it back to your average rugby player, for the ninety nine point five percent of players who won't get paid to play the game, we continue to wait to be led by World Rugby in this going. Oh no, we'll wait till they make a decision, or you know, and, and we are we're trying to here in New Zealand slowly but surely we see every so often some EVLs, experimental variations and laws at certain grades, but not an, a, 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 enough courage, J.K. and Jim, to actually overhaul our, overhaul the game, makes Make a significant change and try something that will bring, I think, a different level of joy back to the game because that the, the game that people are watching on television, unfortunately, in some ways, is the game they're trying to play. That's not the reality. We, I don't want my kids growing up and trying to play the way they are on TV. I want the kids growing up, running, catching and passing a ball, not running into each other, smashing each other with shoulders. I still want them to tackle, but it's like... There's no layer of our game that's willing to go, you know what, this is in the best interests of the 99.9% of other players, the other guys, the average person, the other girl and boy that wants to play the game. We are so, World Rugby are, we can't follow them because they're even slower than we are in a lot of cases, you know? I, you- I, just, I get frustrated because we haven't got the courage, the leadership, whether it be at board level, whether it be at a community game to say, you know what, This we can lead the way, we can innovate like you've always talked about JK. We haven't followed anyone and it women have been great, but we haven't, we we've we've not listened to not just our fans, but I think the parents of kids that want to play the game. I I can't and because they're the ones that are ultimately right, who buy the merchandise, who buy the tickets and subscribe to the media platforms to watch and support it, who actually and do what? They pay the wages of everyone.
2: And you made a really interesting point. I think you mentioned the word 5%. And, and we have a preoccupation, understandably, with the elite side of the game, at, you know, through the media and through what we do. But it's an inverted pyramid. And if we're not careful, we'll end up like uh, America football, where if you're not a superstar when you leave college, you won't even play the game and there'll be nothing for you to play. There'll be, there'll be no teams. You know, we know of clubs uh, that used to have 20 senior teams and now have got two or three. So we're already seeing a a huge exodus of of players. And we need to be innovative. You know, like um, Bernadine Oliver Kirby won't mind me telling this. She hosted the breakdown last year. She rang me up exasperated because her girls' rugby team wanted to move to a Friday night to play so that they could play netball on a Saturday. They wanted to move the competition. North Harbour Rugby said, no, you can't do that, which is ridiculous. We need to be innovative. We need to have schools' rugby being played Monday to Friday where kids are already at school, all they have to do is jump in a van and off they go to the game. We're preoccupied with playing rugby on Saturdays, which is ridiculous. We play, Jeff, you and I play basketball, which happens during the week. Play Squash happens during the week. Netball, Tuesdays and Thursdays. We need to get away from Saturdays. If we're not very, very careful, rugby will only be a game played by the very, very best. And there'll be no game for people who weren't All Blacks, didn't play provincial rugby. A guy like me would have very little future in rugby if I started today. Because by 22, there'd be no teams for me to play for. So if that's the way that we want to go, that's the way that we'll go. But it's it, it, you're, you're killing the production line of great players in New Zealand. When you, JK, I remember you being interviewed many, many, many years ago. And I think it was when Mike Clamp Went overseas, or went. He went overseas. I, he must have gone to France. And you said something like, "This is a. This is really bad for the game, because it's the mic clamps of the world that make me the best. And if we're not careful, all of the mic clamps are going to disappear. So you won't have anyone pushing Sam Kane at school. You won't have anyone pushing Sam Kane at club. He'll just come through as one of about five open side flankers that comes through. is that the sort of game that we want?"
1: Well my problem is also with high performance sport right so high performance sport I think has made has done real damage by creating all these academies and streamlining kids in any sport at school so what the three of us we played everything goldie you were a great cricketer, a great basketballer, a great rugby player right. I was an um, and- average
2: rugby player, a bad cricketer, and an average basketballer. <laughs> uh,
1: you're both in the same teams, right? <laughs> we both played. We both played. We both, both played.
0: Kind of yeah. different sports.
1: And this is and this is what I'm talking about because what you're saying right there, and I don't know how good you were, Jim, because I didn't care after you didn't come to Maris. But besides that, <laughs> besides that, besides that, you two guys played together. One was better than the other but you played together right through your school life right through your rugby life right now at 13 or 14 if you don't make the academy at any school and I don't know outside Auckland so you will be able to help me the kids start going oh I'm not going to play right the, the the biggest game in the world is soccer because actually soccer doesn't care everyone plays
0: soccer
1: <coughs> and 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 so the problem is these high performance things that are happening at 13 14 are stopping all our sport right so jim you think it's, you know, we you need to be worried about us being American. We are American, man. But...
2: So I know that there are First of in New Zealand, uh, in Auckland. There are two schools in Auckland um, where they pay their coach, their First fifteen coach, more than $100,000 to coach that team. There's a school in Auckland that I was told just earlier today, their their rugby budget is more than 11 provincial unions put together. Now, is this, is this what we want? Do we want first? If, if it is, then let's go for it. Let's, let's go the whole hog and turn them into like they do in America with college basketball and college football and that sort of stuff. But what it, what it will do is it will continue to reduce the number of people who play the game in New Zealand. So it will become an elite sport, you yeah. know, like rowing is.
1: But the answer to that is really easy, right? If you want to go down that pathway, you say to them, yeah, you can have your elite side, but you must have three other uh, rugby sides in every mm-hmm. other category. Right, and you go, and if you don't do that, you can't do that because then they have to spend some resource actually growing our game. Great right? idea. It's a great yes. idea. But, <laughs> but well, you got to make these, you got to make these decisions and enforce them. So schoolboy rugby is a little bit like, like they are, in a, like that. They are a force within themselves, right? You try and get the NZRFU to change them; it won't happen, mate, because they don't give a shit. And you it's
0: that's that's an ongoing battle that's going to, you know, and, and I know that particularly that's here in Auckland, you talk about
1: outside, you and bloody stand up and say, you are now under the NZR.
0: Full stop. Well, that's the thing though. You The the, the thing is though, they, they still have to be sanctioned under the NZR. They mm. still have to, they can't not play. They can, they can organize something outside of the union, but in terms of they still have to go to New Zealand rugby. And, and to your point, uh, look, everyone knows quite clearly that I'm on the, you know, kids who play as many sports as they possibly can. I know, it's not as much of a problem but starting to become a problem outside of Auckland that the major schools that are thinking that they want to be a top eight uh, school in New Zealand and win the national title have started to introduce academies. I know Conrad Smith's massive on this because he wasn't in part, there was no such thing as an academy when he was at high school, I think in New Plymouth. Um, but they've started to go down that path and, and that is the responsibilities. You talked about high performance Sport in New Zealand, Sport in New Zealand, all those sorts of things, funding models, all that sort of carry on but but I look at it and go, you know what? In some ways, it's not just those academies. I think it's the game itself is losing people because at the, at the heart of it, it's it's people are trying to play what's on television. They're trying mm-hmm. to play what's at the highest level and it shouldn't be that combative. It shouldn't be that, I mean, it's physical. I get it, but it's got to the point now where, you know, the most important thing everyone talks about is you have to be, you know, you have to be tough. You have to be physically tough and, you know, It's an important part of it, but I don't think in the community game for it shouldn't be a priority. Why do you think the under 85 kilogram competition is so popular in New Zealand? And and they had a national knockout competition is because everyone, you watch them play, it's physical, it's competitive, scrums are scrums, line out drives are line out drives, tackles are tackles, but it's not an absolute priority. Ball moves, they throw the ball around. You know, it even would motivate me a few years ago. To lose about ten to possibly get back out there and play the game, because that's what it would take. But you know, if I was if I was a thirty, you know, a, a thirty year old, and I'm thinking to myself, what's the motivation? Gosh, I'd love to. Oh, I'm 87 or 88 kgs. I'll lose I'll lose four or five to run around and pass the ball again. I, I just if we don't make change, we will lose our fan base because our fan base is the group of people that grows up loving the game, and they're getting fewer and fewer by. The, by the day and by the year.
1: Okay, so this is this is a re- like my issue, my personal issue is I am incredibly frustrated because I have no, I have no ability to make any influence to have any conversations about change. The only, the only <laughs> thing we do is annoy people. So we're getting good at that though, and, yeah. this, and and we'll just keep getting. I think we can get better at it as well. But but my my trouble is how do we actually make some change? Because I am I really excited about the opportunity and the way that our game can change and get better. Um, but then how do we actually make change? Because I'm going, unless we actually make some constant... Greg Norman, Gorbachev, unless we watch those and go, okay, who's going to have the courage to actually sit down and start having some of these conversations? Are they happening? I don't know, because... Talking about the Kremlin, the NZR is like the KGB. You don't know anything. There's no transparency at all. It's all secret squirrel stuff, so you don't know what's going on. Um, they're too scared to say stuff often. So what are our solutions? Because I'm getting a little bit tired of of always talking about these issues every year, same issues, same shit, same, you know.
2: Fan-centric, you know, and, and when I say that, I mean as, a, as for kids – they will be playing but they are the fans so if you want to get kids to play the game you need to talk to them what do they want do they want it to be played on a saturday or would they rather play on a wednesday after school when all of their mates are available um you know do they want to play 15 aside or would they be happy just playing 10 aside because uh, that will make your teams more easily put together uh, all of those sorts of things they, they need to actually engage with people and find out what the people want. Like, Look at that example of Bernie and her, and her kids' team, you know, wanted to play on a Friday night. Didn't happen. Let's do it. Let's take let's
1: this podcast on the road and we'll go to the pub. We'll go to the fans because who's going to represent them? Who's going to give them a voice?
0: I mean, the, the interesting part for JK is is that, you know, I would, be, I would be incredibly surprised and shocked if New Zealand rugby hasn't had this conversation. I would be surprised and shocked if they haven't had these discussions um, and the only, the only thing you can possibly then think is that they're not listening because these are conversations that surely they've heard before, they've had before, JK, you and I, all three of us, were part of a conversation last year. We went into HQ. We spoke with people, You know, at Wayne Smith was there. They were all involved, right? We had uh, Sir Brian Williams. We had Tabai Matson, who was there. We had who else was in that room? We had um, Steve Lancaster, was you know uh, from okay. New Zealand rugby. Yeah. yeah is that so? Mark, Mark Wilson.
2: Um,
0: yeah. Um, uh, Mike Craw- uh, even Crawford, I think, was there as yeah. well. Crawford was there. Yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden, we had all these people in this room, and we addressed huge number of these things we're talking about right now, and that would probably be a year ago, JK, right? Yeah. Right? We addressed and talked about all these things. It was just when we would come out of that first COVID, bro- you know, break, and we were there was a, a sense of normality, but they were still having to, you know, think about. It. They would have heard these conversations, but there's been no action, and that's probably the big thing for me. Is we have to ask why there's been no action. Why has nothing changed? Well, and to me,
1: that. I Rich, but I actually I don't know whether some of it was my fault. But we had a few breakout groups. Remember, you went to one, I went to another. We started working, yeah. but then it fell yeah.
0: over. And I've spoken to Evan Crawford a, a number of times now. You know, to talk about how they're going with the community side of things, and they have tried to introduce a couple of EVLS, of which they've managed to get a couple in, but the significant ones that they thought might significantly change the game, they couldn't get. Like I asked whether or not they're um, about banning the jackal with community rug, rugby in and around the breakdown. They suggested it, but it got pushed back um, because of the the people need to learn that skill. Because guess what? That's the next All Black that you're finding, and they need to know how to do that. So that got pushed back. And I said, this is where quite often we talk from the top down, and you talk about this pyramid, but it's 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 where the leadership has to come from, J.K. And this is the and that's where I come back to this: who is it that makes the decisions, right? Who is it that sits there and, and what is their vision for not just a small part of the game, but who is it that has the, the overall view of the the this is what's in the best interests of rugby union? Hence the, no, 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 a community game for this season, we are going to ban the jackal, and we'll see what happens. We can bring it back in any time we like, but we'll see what it does for our game. And we're going to be courageous enough to say, look, it doesn't matter if a guy is sixteen doesn't do a jackal; he'll learn when he's eighteen or nineteen if it, that if it's still in the professional game. But mm-hmm. to your point, it's it's. I would be shocked if they haven't heard all of this before. I just don't think they know how one how to sell it if they're going to make significant change. Because unfortunately, guess what? There's twenty six provincial unions. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's the number. There's twenty six people. Twenty six provincial unions. Who are whose agendas are wide and varied, and you'll get someone who's such a traditionalist. They'll go, "No, we go. We live under the world rugby. The game in the West Coast or Buller or whatever is going to be the same game. World rugby wants us to play. Yeah, we're going to live by those laws. And that is our problem. To your, yeah. this is my frustration. Change when you've got that many people. They don't. And the thing
2: is, I don't think even New Zealand maybe can tell them what to do. No, they we, can't we, tell them what to do. We should probably talk about the weekend, but I'll give you two examples to, to, that are quite positive. I mean, Dave Gibson, when he was at North Harbour, he tried to. We well, did bring in where they weren't. What was it? They weren't going to keep score. No, they weren't going to. We're going to no, keep score, was
1: it? We're going to pick
2: rep teams. Up. We're going to pick rep teams because he thought that mm. was that was bad. And uh, Counties Monaco had banned jumping for the high ball uh, as a. I guess, a safety thing, because we've talked about that a lot lot as well. So some unions are open to change, and some of those smaller unions, you know, will need to change. And some of those smaller unions are more open to players who do lots of different things. Because as you well know, uh, Jeff, if you come from a small town, uh, you have to play four different sports. Otherwise, there won't be the teams. So some unions are open to that. I think, um, yeah.
0: I I I think we'll expand on this on the breakdown itself and we'll, we'll we'll refine it down to the the questions we need answered. Right. What are the questions we, we we really need answered for change. And, you know, I'm looking forward to on Sunday, on Sunday night, you know, um, we've got Ian Foster on the show, right. We can chat to him about, and his his is a different conversation, but the same token, you know, he's looking at, at our professional game. The professional game this weekend is in Australia. It's a super round. JK, are you are you guys on top? I wasn't really noticing last weekend. Are you guys on top of the table, or? Yes. Please. 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 You know Please. why
2: you didn't notice? Because it's too it's too far to see from the bottom. Yes.
0: It's
2: too far to see from the bottom all the way up.
0: Too far to see. Yeah. Oh, thirty-one. Uh, thirty-one. But they are on top. Points differential as well. Oh, okay. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Um.
2: Okay, let's... let's, uh, let's can, I ask, um, can I ask you guys a question? I want to ask you a question, and it's for a piece I'm doing for New Zealand Rugby World. I'm being intrigued by your answers. At the 2011 World Cup, the All Blacks needed four first fives. We know who the best two first fives are in New Zealand. Let's say Damien McKenzie's your third first five. Who's your fourth? Who's the, what's the picking order after that if Damien McKenzie comes back? If he doesn't come back, who would you want backing up Richie Monger and um, Boat and Barrett? Better yeah,
1: nice because he covers as your fourth, you can carry him because he covers fullback as well, which I think he's been um, excelling at, and he's also got a really solid boot. If you take if you take um, Gatland at the moment, who I think is probably having a breakout season, um, he only covers one position, and I think that's a risk for your fourth. Because what they'll need to start doing is decide on that person and bring him in. You know how they say, oh, we've got cover? You know how they bring mm. those guys in, in cover? So but that's what I'll be doing. I'll be deciding who it is. Um, or Ioane, who could probably um, cover both. So I think you've got to make a decision and go, let's bring him in in the, as an extra now um, and start building him into fullback first five would be my first answer.
0: No, I see, I disagree. I want a straight-out first five. I don't want a player coming in not worrying having to think about playing dual positions. If he's our fourth, I want him coming in and focusing on playing at 10. And the fact that I don't want him having to worry... And we've got plenty of players who can play fullback. We've, I want a guy who's going to come in. Who is that guy? That's a very good question. <laughs> it's one of those things I look at it and go, do I see Stephen Perafeta having the all-round balance game to play at 10 for the All Blacks compared to... Probably a mindset of a Bryn Gatlin. I prefer what I've seen out of Bryn Gatlin at first five uh, in terms of his ability to manage and run a game. There's no one down at the Highlanders who can play at that level. There's no one at the Hurricanes. The Crusaders clearly don't have anyone behind uh, Richie Mwanga who can, who can fill that responsibility. The Chiefs, Josh Uwani, is the other option who has been in an all-black environment. The sports uh, snapshot we got of that, he was he was good. He looked the part. Um, the athleticism is there. He's an impact type of player. Once again, though, don't think he's got the game management. So not convinced around Stephen Perifeta in that mind. So for me, it's Bryn Gatlin. And that's why these next five weeks, right, these next six weeks against the Australian teams are an opportunity for guys to put up their hand and perform. And I'm I, look, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I feel for Moana. Man, they just can't catch a trick. I mean, it's just, you know, the force coming yeah. out and going down, just, you know, really, really frustrating and disappointing for them. But... If the Blues will comfortably get over the Drua. Um, the rest of the games, oh, look, the Crusaders. I think will be comfortable against the Rebels in some way, though. That's the Melbourne. It's the Rebels at home, last game of the round. Um, you're talking about the Highlanders' season. Um, the Brumbies. I mean, they couldn't have got a worse draw, you know, uh, to try and to try and kickstart their year. So I, I sort of look at this and go for both the Highlanders and Hurricanes. Um, it's a pivotal moment in their season. Pivotal moments. Kane's got the Reds, eh?
2: Yeah, they've got the Reds. Yeah, it's a tough game. It's a very tough game. Um, Ruben loves a guy we didn't talk about. I know uh, there's big reps on him. He can play fullback and first five. It'll be interesting to see. I don't think he'll be there for the, this World Cup, but I think he's a, he's a future All Black. I think they'll look at him after the World wow. Cup. Wow. Yep. Future All Black? Definitely. Yep. Future All Black. They will be looking at him um, as a player who brings similar qualities in athleticism and game skill as, uh, as Bowden Barrett. His starting spot at the Canes at the moment, John. I didn't say he is an All Black today, JK.
1: Well, but I you know thought.
2: that the selectors look at him as a future All Black. I'll give you a theory.
1: First five that make it, they get their opportunity, and they stay there.
2: Yep. And what about Geordie? Is he a second five or a fullback? Can we decide on this? Because it really Don't decides. Even ask.
1: Don't even ask.
2: Really decides how how you pick your team, doesn't it?
0: Don't even ask me. He's a fullback. So the fullback this full, weekend.
1: Yeah. 12, Rico Uwani at thirteen. Geordie Barrett at fifteen. Will Jordan on one wing. Caleb Clark on the other. Halfback. Aaron Smith, although he does need to start running a bit more, I believe.
2: Have you been talking to the same? Have you been talking to the same selector as me. I think so. I was was given that backline last week. (laughs) I think it's an
0: easy backline to pick. To be honest with you, if you're going on form and guys you think are going to have the opportunity, the Roger Tuvasa-Shek one is he just needs to get some minutes under his belt and we'll all see where he can get to. But um, with that, you know, I I don't think we should discount that possibility. I'm excited about the thought of Geordie Barrett at twelve. Because it allows me, William, allows Will Jordan to be Will Jordan, which could quite possibly be the most dangerous fullback in the world. And is that going to be something different for us? That we, you know, we've, we've gone with that dual playmaker thing. We stuck with that for a while. We went to Geordie and we've certainly got, you know, a player last year who was a standout performer. But what is it we want from our fullback? And is it a reincarnation of Christian Cullen? I'll tell you what, I quite like that. Because if you watch him, he's not that far away from being that type of impactful player. Whatever happens, he has to be on the field. He has to be
2: in the starting 15. He's a try-scoring machine. What about, here's another question, if you're the All Black Selectors. We know who the best halfback in New Zealand is on on reputation and form, that's Aaron Smith. But I think there's an absolute dogfight to be number two and number three when they go away to the World Cup. Can 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 I ask you
1: if reputation has anything to do with being the best in your position? or is I think that the All Blacks or have... I don't understand your statement, Jim. Can you repeat it?
2: Yeah, so I think the All Blacks have been picked on reputation for a long, long time, JK. Uh, I can think back to Murray Mexted walking in from South Africa with a surfboard on his back and coming straight into the All Blacks. Fast forward to the fact that Dan Carter and Richie McCaw were average for the Crusaders, but sensational for the All Blacks. Ma'anonu was never really that good after he'd made the All Blacks. Uh, and Super Rugby, Doreen Kano the same. Um, people have been picked on reputation for the All Blacks for an extremely long time. And they'll continue to be, because you know what they can do in that in that environment. So I think, you know, it's that old saying, mate, it's harder to get out of the All Blacks than it is to get into the All Blacks. and, and, there will be guys that are picked for the All Blacks this year purely because they, those coaches know that they will perform for them. And those are just a few examples of it, you know. Um, Look, let's we be, honest be
0: honest
2: with you. Jim, we could write it down. We could write down 26 of the names right now. But who are the other halfbacks? Is it, is it um, Falao Fakatawa? Is it Finlay Christie? Is it TJ Peranada? Is it Brad, Brad Weber? Who are the other two halfbacks? Because we've got four really interesting halfbacks, and I, 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 I don't know. I was going to say who I like Finlay Christie and I like Brad Weber, and for me, I'd be picking those two. Do you know was, what we get to do though? Do you know what do you know what we get to do, JK Jim? We get to do
0: it on Sunday, and we can ask Ian Foster. Yeah, hey, how many how many players is he going to pick in this initial squad? We'll ask him. I reckon we have this debate next week because we'll have an idea. Yes, and then he'll say we're going to pick the first squad to play Ireland. Will be thirty two players. Yep. Next week we'll come up with y'all.
1: Guys, I've got to go because I've got a slow cooking um, ox cheek <laughs> with some <laughs> brisket that I need to get. And
0: that, and that is our Sir John Kerwin <laughs> ends the podcast. Little He's got, little got a little slow stuff. cooking, he cannot that cannot carry on. It cannot go. I love it. I love it. Go to the Hollanders this weekend. You guys enjoy the blues. It's gonna be a great weekend in Melbourne. Cheers, lads.